God is good. What a wonderful worship service this morning to experience the presence of the Lord. Aren't you thankful to be a part of the family of God? Isn't it wonderful we can get together and we're called to come together and worship and praise and fellowship together? What a wonderful time to be a part of the family of God, especially in the days in which we're living. We need each other. We need this community right here. Amen. And uh, we're glad you're here this morning. This morning, I want to minister on the thought, in fact, it's a, it's a little bit different. But it's a message that uh, the Lord really impressed upon my heart. And how many know this morning that, you know, yes, we're saved from sin, but how many knows that many times we Christians need to be delivered and set free? Amen? Yeah, we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. But there's some struggles still in our life that we can still be set free from. Jesus has a way of continuously bringing us to new levels, setting us free, and bringing us up higher. C.S. Lewis, in his, I love his little series on the Chronicles of Narnia, read those series to all of our kids when they were younger. And there's a phrase in one of his stories that talks about coming further in and further up, further in and further up. And how many knows that there is no arrival point this side of eternity? We are always arriving. And may I say the Lord is always inviting us further in and further up. Further in and further up. So I want to minister on the thought this morning, the tyrant within. The tyrant within. Many years ago, under the reign of the tyrant Saddam Hussein in Iraq, they actually participated in the Olympics, and their soccer team, his brother Uday, was over the sports program in Iraq. But the national soccer team, they worked under fear. In fact, they were threatened, some were flogged, some were beaten in the wake of losing important games. In other words, fear was linked to a game. They played out of fear rather than the joy and fun of the game. Saddam Hussein's brother Uday actually robbed them of the fun and enjoyment of the game. He was what you would call a tyrant. No. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what truly motivates me in my life? My efforts at victory and success. Is it enjoyment or fear? Is there fulfillment or is there a hidden torment? There is a real tyrant today at work, even in the lives of Christians, believe it or not. I want to read a couple of texts this morning, very familiar to all of you. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, and Jesus referred to this text as well, 
But Jeremiah 7, 9 and 10 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it reads, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. May I say this morning, it is in the hidden caverns of our hearts that really dictates who we really are and how we go about, you might say, the game of life. We must not only guard, but we must uncover what is hidden there. And may I say there is only one person who can lead us effectively into the inner caverns of our own heart and help us discover what needs to be removed, and that person is Jesus Christ. He wants to not only set the sinner free, he wants to set the saint free as well. Now, there are only two basic motives for succeeding in life. The first one is the fear of falling short. Or, secondly, the freedom of faith that soars. This morning, we want to identify that inner tyrant that has many people bound and topple his regime once for all. And you know what? God wants us to experience the release, freedom, and the abundant life that Jesus promises. How many knows that? Amen? Well, let's look at, first of all, the life motivators, what we call the life motivators. These two opposing motivators are matters of the heart. And as I said, they can be very well hidden, even from ourselves. There are only two reasons we put forth real effort in this life. It's either one or the other. Fear, which desperately looks for acceptance and approval, or fulfillment, which looks to make a difference. We need to ask ourselves some searching questions. And stay with me this morning. It's going to be a little bit of a journey. But how many knows he wants us free? So there's some searching questions. Why do I really do what I do? Why do I think the way I do? Why am I so sensitive to any hint of criticism, even if it's positive or if there's disagreement? Why do I need everyone to like me? Why do I have to rely on fear to abstain from addictive behaviors? Why do I often feel like a phony even though I'm successful? Well, the simple truth of the matter, another familiar text in Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11 through 13, here is the simple truth about you and I, the Word of God. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, glory, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. How many has heard that verse before? What an inspiration. What an encouragement. 
And yet there are times we say, well, you know what? Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, there's a false humility, and the false humility is wrong-headed. It says this, what am I doing in this position? Certainly someone else can do a better job. When others commend or applaud me, I'm thinking, yeah, but if they only really knew me. True humility is this. Did it ever occur to me that maybe God has given me some valuable gifts, and because of that, I do have something to offer? For Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Glory. Well, we need to identify the tyrant. The root of our problems, the tyrant is called shame. Shame is a feeling of being flawed. Shame is the idea that I just don't quite measure up. Shame is the idea where we say, am I good enough? A few years ago, we were sitting at the bedside our dear sister-in-law, wonderful Christian lady who went on to be with the Lord and we drove to Oregon to be by her side before she passed. And I was sitting there by her bedside and she looked at me. And again, a wonderful Christian lady and she said, Vernell, I don't know if I've been good enough. And I looked at her and I said, Sandy, that doesn't matter. Jesus was good enough, and that's all you need to know. Glory. And I saw an immediate different expression. It was like a relief, and her daughter was sitting there, and she said, good word. Friend, it's not a matter whether you're good enough or whether I'm good enough. We need to know this morning he was good enough, and that's all that matters. Glory. Most people today don't even realize they have these shame issues, but all of us do to a certain extent. Shame is not only a tool that parents use sometimes, but shame is everywhere, especially today in our culture. One example is this movement. I don't know what it is, where it comes from. Cancel culture. It promotes shame. So we're surrounded by it. In fact, may I say, through the years, guilt and shame have proven to be great religious motivators. Well, I want to consider the removal of the tyrant. Know that shame has already been overthrown. His reign ended 2,000 years ago. Grace now becomes the primary motivator in our life. Imagine experiencing the calm, quiet, confident satisfaction instead of the deep, abiding, vague gut anxiety. I can tell you this morning, there is a real possibility of change when we uncover this tyrant known as shame. Also knowing the enemy tactics can help. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he said it's important that it's good that we know the methods or the schemes of the enemy. Our enemy is real. I've said many times before, whether we realize it or not, we are at war spiritually and it's constantly going on. But, 
what I like when the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. You know why it's a good fight, folks? It's a good fight when the fight is fixed. Glory. And I can assure you the fight we're involved in spiritually is already fixed. The victory's already been won. When God sent Israel into the promised land, he repeated to Joshua at least three times in chapter 1, he made the statement, I have given you the land, and everywhere your foot steps is yours. It's already yours. But you know what? They had to fight. First thing they faced was the walls of Jericho. Glory. But you know what? God said in chapter 1, I've already given the land to you. It's yours. Go take it. Glory. It's a fixed fight. I've got great news for you this morning. The land's already yours. The victory's already yours. Just go take it. Go through the motions. Do the fight. And guess what? The victory is already established. Glory. There's three things, though, we need to understand about the devil. And this is profound. You may want to write this down. Are you ready? Three things about the devil that you need to know. For one, he doesn't like you. Hello. Number two, he doesn't want you to go to heaven. Number three, if he can't keep you out of heaven, he will do his best to make you the most defeated and miserable Christian on the planet. Amen. Three simple truths about the devil. So in identifying our master motive, the tyrant from within, for whom do we perform? Uday or the joy of Jesus Christ? It's time to replace the wrong master motive in our lives. What motivates my drive for victory or success? The fear of failure or the fullness of self-worth and who I really am in Christ Jesus? It is time to throw off the tyrant's shame of rain in our hearts and experience the pure joy and freedom of Jesus Christ. Time to enjoy the excellence rather than constantly striving for it. Jesus was excellent. Jesus won all the brownie points. Jesus was good enough. We do not need to fear shame to motivate us any longer. We are free to serve God in joy and peace. Listen to Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father the intimate Aramaic term, Daddy. That's who God is. Abba, Father. Jesus used that term in the garden in praying to God. 
Well, the grip of shame, it's an impossible burden. As I said, our world is full of broken hearts, broken lives, broken homes, fertile ground for shame to thrive. Whether you're an adult or you're a child, the greatest fear in our life is losing someone's love, whether it be a parent, a spouse, or a friend. The result of this is we spend a lifetime trying to measure up, trying to be good enough. It becomes an impossible burden that crushes our heart, saps us of emotional, physical, and even spiritual vitality. Our churches are full of wiped-out Christians where shame reigns. Well, it's an impossible commitment because shame is anchored in the chasm. Catch this. is anchored in the chasm between what we ought to be and what we are. When the Israelites went into Canaan's land, they had to deal with all the ites. The Jebusites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Parasites. I don't know. You could go on ites, 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 ites. They dealt with the ites. You know what we wrestle with? The ots. Such unresolved conflict, hear me, can almost lead to demonic despair. You must measure up. You better measure up if you're going to be worth anything. But you can't measure up, so what's the use? So we Christians, rather than being driven by push to physical suicide, we commit spiritual suicide. Or we succumb to emotional suicide. It's like a computer. We slip into sleep mode And don't hit the reset button. Don't wake me. Leave me alone. Do not hit reset. Let me tell you, shame is a prison. It incarcerates us into a performance-based prison, living where there is no real joy. We were drained of that long time ago. We are motivated by the tyrant within. Now, uh, the impossible dream. Talk about an impossible dream. In ancient Greece is where it began dog racing. And, of course, now in dog racing, you have what is known as, and you, see, you can picture the greyhounds. In fact, I think here in Joplin, not far from here, they had a big dog. Race greyhounds. When they race greyhounds, remember, they have a mechanical rabbit. And that mechanical rabbit is always faster than the dog. And never in history has a dog caught the rabbit. Their brain doesn't move fast enough. They they may be one of the fastest animals on the planet, but their brains aren't that quick. They need a counseling session with Dr. Doolittle. I don't know, but they, they can't catch the rabbit. We run faster and harder when we are powered by shame. In our lives, we end up chasing a rabbit that we have not been able to catch. And that rabbit comes in all kinds of shapes and colors. Approval, acceptance, affirmation, affection, 
attention. Whatever we run after, simply put, shame is the shameful feeling, the painful feeling that there is some flaw in me that keeps me from catching the rabbit. Still with me? It's also an impossible principle. People use shame to motivate others because they simply don't know how God operates. Does God want us to be fruitful, productive? Absolutely. Does God have high expectations of us? He sure does. Does God bless us because we're productive? Nope. Here's the false Christian gospel. Love the Lord, do good, give generously, live right, serve God, and the Lord will really love you and bless you. That's how we've been raised. I know. Been there, done that. The true gospel, Christian gospel is, here, God really loves you. God has blessed you with all heavenly blessings. Therefore, love the Lord, do good, give generously, live right, and serve God. The truth of the matter is this. Shame does change behavior, but it doesn't change the heart. We're raised, and I've said this before. In fact, I think I may have said it Wednesday night. We're not careful. We're motivated religiously by guilt and condemnation. How many knows that's not how God operates? Amen? So, the sweet release of grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Note the principle of grace. It's like this. God has written you a check. It's yours, free and clear. All you've got to do is endorse it, take it to the bank, and deposit it to your account. I don't know about you, I want that check. I want to deposit that check. I want to experience it. I want to enjoy it. I want to spend it. Let me say, friend, Jesus Christ delivers. He's written the check. Sign the check in his own blood. You don't need to try harder. You're already loved. You don't need to try harder. You're already favored and blessed by God. Glory. Think of the story in John 8 of the woman caught in adultery. The woman taken in adultery. She was the epitome of shame. Now, now put yourself in that picture in John 8. And she is shamed publicly. Dragged by the religious elite. Here's the crowds. And thrown at the feet of Jesus in the dust. May I say that was the Pharisees' first mistake. They threw her at the feet of Jesus. How many knows that backfired? Glory, that's my Jesus. Threw her. Shame, think of it, publicly. Thrown at the feet of Jesus. Wow. No. Shame, not her sin, was lifted. 
Her sin was a symptom of her heart shame. But Jesus, I love this, reached down, took her by the hand, stood her to her feet. The face of Jesus looked into her face. Glory, the giver of life. May I say her creator looked her right in the face and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. By that time, those who had accused her, the crowd was gone. They had dropped their rocks and left. And all that was there was her alone with Jesus. And Jesus released her. Let me say, at that moment, that woman's life was never the same again. The shame was lifted. She was a new person. And for the first time in her life, she turned around and walked away absolutely free. Can you even begin to imagine the joy of release in her life? Glory. She did not have to return to a life of prostitution because Jesus released her from the shame that drove her to that lifestyle. Note, your sin is not the source of your shame. Your shame produces the behavior. Note, lift your eyes. Look into the wonderful face of your Savior. Behold his smile. See his eyes of compassion. Feel his affection for you. Accept his provision and know that you are a creature of infinite worth. Be released of your inner tyrant of shame and celebrate life in Jesus Christ. Well, the impact of grace is this. Glory. Note. Listen. We now stop trying to measure up. We now quit our dogged pursuit of the rabbit of perfection and acceptance. We now find rest in the vastness of God's love. We experience joy, fruitfulness, peace, and a wonderful family of the saints. We now don't have to be fruitful in order to be blessed. We're blessed, therefore we are fruitful. Glory! The tyrant from within. I'm here to say this morning, it's over. The tyrant's rule ends this morning. So let's make this commitment today. I choose to quit pursuing that which cannot be caught. Say it again, Pastor. I choose to quit pursuing that which cannot be caught. You know why? Jesus caught it on the cross. Why are you pursuing it? I choose no longer seek to earn love. It can't be earned. I already have it. You already have the complete love and favor of God. And may I say there's nothing you can do religiously as far as disciplines to earn more of his love and favor. 
I'll go so far as to say this. There is nothing you can do right now to cause God to love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do right now to cause God to love you any less. You have his complete, infinite, and eternal love right now. So why are we knocking ourselves out trying to earn something we already have? Can I give you some good advice? Knock it off. Glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, glory. I will surrender my futile efforts to prove myself acceptable. God knows our needs. May I remind you this morning, Jesus is your high priest. He stands before the Father continuously interceding, calling your name before the Father. He identifies with every one of your wounds. The book of Hebrews says he is identified with every one of our transgressions. Repent of all bitterness. Release judgment, resentment from your heart. Believe that the cycle of shame can be broken. I want to close with this simple statement this morning, but put it another way. God sent you a rose. It's the rose of Sharon. Behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Breathe in the fragrance. Take it in. God has handed you. Take it in. Take in his mercy this morning.